0: Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzak. In
1: my business, when I need to hire someone, special cook, I always bring someone with experience and always update I never have same menu, like, you know, specials. No place will have a special, 20 specials every single day, different special. And I always look for the best and try to hire them because uh, this is the secret in business. Always have different things in your menu. Don't
0: let your customer get tired from what they're eating. The 25-year journey of a devoted family man who left Lebanon for the great wide open of RVA Dine. Do stay with us. This episode is made possible by Performance Food Service, a proud partner of Virginia restaurants and food service establishments, with more than 13,000 associates in 75 locations nationwide. Visit them online at pfgc.com. And by Evo Advisors, helping busy professionals who have more than a 401k plan to worry about. Evo Advisors, offering clients financial advice, fiduciaries for families at evoadvisors.com. Joining me in studio in downtown R of VA, Faisal Aridi, owner and founder of Westwood Fountain, where I am constantly uh, perennially for breakfast. Good Lord, the omelets. And RVA dine Doyen Roby Martin. You know her from Lunch Break with Roby on CBS 6. And her bylines have been in pretty much every publication in town. How are you, peeps? Well, good morning. Good morning to you. Faisal, this is one of those rare mornings where I'm actually not at Westwood Fountain ordering my usual – everybody realized when I come in, I like, get that guy an unsweetened iced tea and his peculiar omelet. Uh, I met you in a very interesting way that we found out that this pharmacy by St. Mary's Hospital had a diner in it where it was impossible to get a breakfast table and a lunch table. Next thing I know, my kids are ordering pancakes in the shape of, of – Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and and the st- your staff knew our orders and you became effectively extended friends of the family and last year you told me that it was the 20th anniversary of the diner and I kind of made a note to self that we have to tell the story of how you came to Richmond from Lebanon how the diner happened your entrepreneurial journey so having said all that sir welcome Thank you, Robin, for having me. For of us. course. Thank you for having me every morning. Tell me what, what when <laughs> every you... Every
2: morning. I <laughs> love that. You know what? 100% of the mornings he's eating his peculiar omelet. What is your peculiar omelet?
0: Yeah, I'm not going to give the secret away, but I've been lobbying to have a dish named after me. I try to get Westwood <laughs> Fountain to have something called the Robin Farzad hangover tomato, where you take nice. the Hanover tomato, but you add a G that's dangling from the front. Yes. You fill it with eggs and all sorts of savory stuff for Sunday morning. But I digress. This is about <laughs> Faisal. How are you, sir? Good, good. How are
1: you, Robin? Tell me when you came to Richmond. I came to Richmond back in 1994. I came with my wife. I came first to finish education. Uh-huh. I never get the chance because my wife went before me to college, and I had to support work and support her to finish uh, college. So uh, I started working in restaurant business, with the, which is, I never been in a restaurant before. I never think about it to be cook first, then to become owner. So I started working in Westwood, Westbury Pharmacy as as a prep, then a cook.
0: Then in few, three years later, I decided to go on my own. Okay, hold on. Let's go back. You moved to Richmond from Lebanon in 1994? From Lebanon. Tell me about your background in Lebanon. Tell me about the decision to move here.
1: Really, background in Lebanon, I grew up in uh, during the civil war in Lebanon. I... Uh, I was with the Red Cross for five years. I was a leader. I was, uh, you know, all over the country trying to help as much as we can. Uh, I get injured twice during my uh, work with the Red Cross. Then Lebanon come is uh, just I can't live in it anymore. It's just uh, I love it as my country. I I grew up over there. I still love it. But I cannot. I wasn't able to live there because no opportunities. So I decided to follow my wife to the state. Then after I came, I started working, like I said. Uh,
0: well, let's ask you, why my, Richmond? Why did you come from Beirut to Richmond, Virginia?
1: Because I have my in-laws. They came over here. So they were here.
2: What brought them me. here?
1: Brought them here, their son. Their son came back in the 80s and went to... Uh, College over here in actually in Hampton In Hampton sure, so they came to Hampton and uh, after my wife came I think a few months they
0: moved to Richmond then that's why what were you professionally Richmond. trained as after the Red Cross and after your tours of duty in the war
1: really I was uh, we my my dad owns pastry business a bakery bakery so I used to help him I used to help my dad during the Actually, he started back in the 77 in one location, then in the 80, moved to a different location. And I was him, but uh, we had bad luck because it, it damaged during the war probably five, six times. Our home, too, so we have to move to a different village to be survived, to stay you know, away from.
0: Uh, Why do I recall the worst of the, the, the Lebanese Civil War and the war being in the early 80s, let's say 1982? Was the what it was in the, the mid eighties? It was constantly Beirut. Used to I mean, it's it's ironic. We talk about it today. Beirut is this odd oasis right now in the Middle East, where everything else is falling apart. But it used to be a punchline about a, a place that's a you know a failed city and a failed state and a proxy war. And the Syrians always had their mitts on it, and the Iranians and the United States and the hostage situation throughout the nineteen eighties. And and this is very much what you left in the early nineties.
1: Right, right. This is uh, in my days was created the. Uh, Civil War, and that was the worst for Lebanese, is uh, because they separate all the different religion the, against each other, so they create the that war that's for them. And uh, uh, I wish I remember Beirut because first time I helped my village. I was nine years old. I was with my mom and my brother during pick up some grapes. From the, our field, it was probably a mile away from the home, and we took it as a walk. And so when we see the bomb in the village, my mom and never forget that.
0: Roby Martin, when did you first encounter Westwood Diner? I know you're a fan. You've you've oh, been quite gosh. a fan of it, and and we'll get into the history and everything that went between Faisal moving here to the founding. You know, that
2: might have been my parents. I think that that's a. Um, like, it might be, like, even before I started writing about food in Richmond, I think my dad was a big fan of, I mean, it's an early morning breakfast spot. He, we have some of those, but not a whole ton. So I think my dad was like, if you're going to get breakfast before work, this is where we're going to go. So that's where we went. And I have a huge family, so we pretty much were like, it was a lot. But it's not a lot. It was just a lot of breakfast for us. How about that? Yeah.
0: Well, Faisal, I want you to take me back actually to the composition of the Lebanese community here because it was the Oli family which ha- has had the Westbury Pharmacy for the longest time and the cousin, the Westwood Pharmacy by St. Mary's Hospital here. You know, when when I moved to this city seven years ago, I was struck at the pockets of really kind of tight-knit, the Armenian community, obviously, the Greek community. There's a Bosniak community. There's clearly a Lebanese community, there's a Vietnamese, Mennonite community, Vietnamese community. Sure,
2: El Salvadoran and the South Side. I mean, we have a lot of pockets.
0: What was the genesis of the Lebanese community here? Really uh,
1: was uh, and still St. Anthony Church was the, the big community of Lebanese community. They go over there to St. Anthony. Uh,
0: and is it a Maronite community? Is it it's a Druze Maronite. community?
1: It's a Maronite community. And we have a Druze community it's in Southside.
0: Southside, mm-hmm. South they have building. They get. Do you know my gathering. first introduction to it was when I was moving here? Was uh, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly? Is country style donuts. Country style donuts. Who wanted yes. to tell you yeah. the story? Right by the airport, yeah. the yeah, pothole the donut 24 place. Twenty four
2: hours, absolutely.
0: Right, and it's where yeah. businessmen alike and and uh, really red eyed airport workers and everything would show up at two in the morning and hear stories about Lebanon. If I remember correctly, really? yeah,
2: this is a brand new thing for me. Well, it's no something idea. for you to
0: pounce on. I'm the gift that yeah. keeps on giving. You really Rovi. are. Wow. So, how, yeah. Faisal, how were you received in '94? So you're in this situation. You realize your wife is is going into full education. You need to be a breadwinner. Are you a father at this point? I'm a father of two kids.
1: Uh, yes, I, uh, my wife. Actually, I had to work and support her. by By the time she finished, I was supposed to go. College and she, we had child and she was pregnant seven months pregnant with my son, so we couldn't couldn't make it.
0: That's why then I decided to go on my own. Okay Be- tell me about those tell me about those first few years let's say 94 so wh- the the founding the opening your start because you had your 20th anniversary last year at Westwood diner was 98 so i'd like you to take me in the years between 94 and 98 those first few years
1: yeah it's uh, it's a good memory it was a lot of work, hard work for me i started business i can say from zero it's two two different companies actually owners, they tried to run westwood they couldn't make it uh, the most, the one, most they stay over there, probably seven, eight months. It was hard from beginning, but I was given a lot of my time, my care, hard work, so to get it going. And you and
2: physically cooked.
1: I physically cooked, clean. I did everything. I stay. I used to go six o'clock in the morning, leave four o'clock. Sometimes I go three o'clock in the morning and... Leave for 4, 5 o'clock afternoon.
2: So, I mean, technically it's not a—I mean, it's a diner, but technically it's not a diner. But, like, like that's tough work. Um, I don't know if—I mean, there's multiple chefs that have tried to get past, like, doing that flat, top dining work. And it's hard, hard, hard chef work. True chef cook work. How did you learn how to do that?
1: Really, it's—like uh, I said, when I never in my life think to become a chef. I used to work in Westbury and in a few months, I used to work with an executive chef. In a few months during my work, and he start asking me questions, how we should do this, how we should do that. So I have to learn to live because this, I felt like this, this is, will become my living. So I used to work very hard, pay attention to everything, give from, from all my heart to the customer, try treat him very well, and um, I kept going, learn every day, learn different things, create, try to create different things, what
0: people like. Now, let me ask you this. Westbury Pharmacy, I, I hear stories that in the 1980s, this is in Henrico County, right by Douglas Freeman High School, that the, the, the only family which owned Westbury was right. at what point I think the largest family-owned private you know, not publicly traded pharmacy on the East coast. Yes. It was a real center of gravity for the Lebanese community here. Correct, correct. Mr. Fayez Oli, and he, I never forget that
1: man. This is the man who I felt he he helped me. He put me on the right track in life with his support, with his love, with his care. Uh, Fayez, when I came to him to, to get, they could
0: uh, see if he has a job for me. What was he like, the like Don Corleone of the Lebanese community? Yeah. Was, You've come to ask me on the day of my <laughs> daughter's wedding. Yeah. He, no, I he, hear all he, these he stories. I hear all these you. legendary stories about Fezoli, kind of the, yeah, the benefactor was, of the community. He He's the one
1: who just. He said, well, "You can come tomorrow and start." And I tried my best over there. I did work hard. Uh, now the diner was already established inside Westbury. We was already established. Okay, but, but it was
2: far smaller than it is now. Correct. Right. Like much smaller. Right. Like maybe right. even a quarter.
1: During my years over there, I think we, we twice we mo- we had to move some aisles and put more tables over there.
0: Now, by way of uh, background and context, and parenthetically, I can tell you in the Jewish community here that uh, Mr. Oli has been. Uh, tight with some of the, the the rabbis in the past, that he even gave them square footage to set up a uh, a little tiny uh, kosher supermarket. That. Um Many people would use during Passover and the High Holidays, and he would agree to stock certain wines and and bring in challah bread and everything. And I always was fascinated uh, that that first autumn that I spent here in 2012 by that symbiosis that you saw it. And the, uh, as we've said before, Faisal, the Armenian community knows the Lebanese community here. The Bosnian community is tight with the Armenian community. My mother-in-law, who's a um, uh, he, he herself is a Jewish American, and everything, and she's the granddaughter of. Great-granddaughter of immigrants helped resettle Iraqi refugees last year. In the '80s, she helped resettle the Soviet refuseniks. There was a, a, a very strange symbiosis going on with the not strange, but actually beautiful. There was a it was a it was a spirit of helping people in these various different corridors of of immigrant life. And uh, Mr. Oli was known as that person that was helping the Jewish community. I think something must have happened, I think, in the past where he was grateful for some sort of real estate forbearance. So he set aside a portion of his huge profitable pharmacy for a kosher supermarket, which is still there. It's still there.
1: And I'm one of the guys who went with him to New York twice for
0: shopping at the, the grocery for the Jewish community. Wow. That's yes. It.
2: That's some good research.
0: As I tell everybody, Roby, wouldn't be a party without a safari. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: I'm going to snort, and that's not going to be good for the radio. <laughs>
0: full disclosure on Robin Farzad, we are talking to Faisal Aridi, owner and founder of Westwood Fountain uh, on the west end of the RVA. And uh, also joining us is RVA Diane Doyenne, Roby Martin. You know her from Lunch Break with Roby on CBS 6. Uh, she's full of life and a joie de vivre. Uh, Faisal. I'm fascinated by this period between 94 and 98. What was the very genesis of Westwood Fountain? So there was a cousin pharmacy of the Westbury Pharmacy by St. Mary's Hospital, um, actually in Richmond on Patterson Avenue. How did you come up with this idea? Tell me about um, founding it, getting the capital, getting the permission. What was the genesis?
1: Really, the, the idea is what I want to do and what how much I can give. This is was the beginning. And I give a lot, I learned a lot from previous job, And I said, this is what the community needs. And start working very hard. Uh, I didn't know my days and sometimes my night. Uh, work very hard and always hard work paid back. And I get a lot of support, Robin, from my employees, from the community. I have lawyer customer comes, I I tell you I have many, many, Families they've been come from 1998 till now five six times a week.
0: How did 1998 happen though? So you walk into this pharmacy and you said what, what was there there? There was square footage of, of of Retail things and you said just give me a counter really they ha- they have a small counter and when I
1: look at it, I said mm, This is good work and was only have 15 seats and when I step in I step I know I can make it, but how long would it take me to me? That was a big question for me. So the kitchen so was already in place? The kitchen was the only grill, yes, grill and a hood. And no kitchen was, it had a small room in a basement.
2: So did you start with just the grill and the hood and say, I can do this um, with this? Right. And just build on it?
1: Build on it. So, uh, that, that. Wow. Yeah, I started in only hood and grill, and I have House dishwasher.
2: So, what was the first menu item?
1: Was there was some club sandwiches and breakfast? Uh, you know, eggs, pancake, and uh, and uh, French toast. Hold up! Hold up! Hold up!
0: We always are fascinated by this kind of the business of restaurant entrepreneurship and, sure. and startups. Did you have to rely on credit card debt? Did you get a loan from Mr. Oli? How did what? What was the number in your head? Robin I'm, needs the details. I need the deeds. People are fascinated. <laughs> I mean, this is full disclosure after all. So you're thinking <laughs> you're now, thinking really to myself,
2: We'd actually like you to open your bank account right now and show us it all.
0: It will take a blood and DNA test afterwards. But <laughs> Faisal, no, seriously. How did you say I'm going to take? I'm going to make this leap of faith. I'm going to get this counter. What did you do for working capital? Did you just keep? Savings and what,
1: what was really, the number
0: in your head that you felt you needed to earn from this?
1: Really, I was beginning. I was, you know, uh, I was looking for business somewhere else. Then Faiz came to me. He said, "Faisal, my brother has opportunity for you if you like." It. I went and I checked the place. I talked to the owner, previous owner before me. I said, uh, "They told me you want to sell. How much do you want?" He said, "You you pay." I can't remember exact number. He said, you pay me for the equipment I have, which is, wasn't much, and what's uh, some other stuff. And I think I believe around $5,000, 6000 back then.
0: Were you going to pay with sweat equity? Were you going to say, listen, let me earn this out? How how did it work if you hand the really, keys over to me? I had to, to give him, I pay him some
1: uh, in the front, and uh, later I had... You know, during the my work in the restaurant, I paid him off for the rest of the money.
2: So essentially a fairy godfather, just like you were talking about a little earlier. That's amazing.
1: So, uh, yeah, it uh, wasn't – when I started, I was really worried because, you know, it was a new area for me. I know Westbury, I know the neighborhood over there, but this is, was a new area for me.
2: Were you busy right away?
1: No. <laughs> No, busy right away now because when I start I used to sell sometimes two three breakfast Ordered in the morning and probably 10 uh, 10 customer 10 12 customer they come in lunchtime. It was very slow uh, But I put my head to it and I work hard. I always and always go with home cooking That was it's make make big difference and uh, for the community so home cooking helped me a lot. I don't buy anything
0: frozen. We do all fresh, uh, and the people ap- appreciate it. Now, Faisal, so I want to I want to kind of get into this idea again, continuing the leap of faith of when you're in this situation and you're thinking, "Gosh, the best I could do in this," and I'm a, I'm a newcomer to this, and I understand there's a learning curve, but three or four breakfasts a day, maybe. 10 customers how do you even begin to hire staff how do you do you take it out of savings do you do it on listen stick with me i'm substantially sure that this will work
1: really robin i had one lady who helped me her name is d she's in heaven right now uh d was the only employee i had back then she was uh before with the previous owner she was working for them and she said i can help you she you know serve a waitress and do the register. And that's how I start my business. Then business in a few months start picking up. I had my wife who helped me a lot during lunchtime. I had no one at the register show. She used to take her lunch break, come run a register for me during lunchtime. And to run the register? To run the register. And hour, hour and a half later, she go back to her job.
2: Oh, wow.
1: And that's how we started. I mean. Uh, It's a lot of stories and the stories behind it to become to establish that business. Right? What do you see now? It's a lot of life story. You know, many many days I bring my kids in the morning because I need my help, my wife's help. So we bring him put in a van in the morning when they sleep. Turn the heat, you know. They turn the heat for them, and she stay with me in inside the restaurant. And sometimes we bring him in. Stay around for a couple hours. So the kids could...
0: would be sleeping in the van with the heat on while oh, your yeah. wife was was part-timing for, for you. Yes. At what point do you realize, let's say, nineteen ninety-eight is the inception that there was enough cash flow being thrown off that you could hire one or two people or you could make investments in menu or maybe add another table? What was the hockey they call it the hockey stick moment? Uh
1: the hockey stick moment was, you know, uh, probably after I believe six, seven months, I had to hire another lady here who helped me because the business started picking up and I started some catering business. Which I mean, that were you mostly me.
0: counting on word of mouth from customers? Were you advertising at the I never outset? advertised, always word of mouth. Did you
2: experience any fear when you hired, like trepidation for hiring the next person? Like, am I able to sustain this? Will I have to immediately let them go? Because w- what if the business takes a dive? Did that Was that in the back of your head?
1: Of course. Of course, the beginning was that way. You know, to start a business, you, you don't know the area, you don't know you know, the type of customer you have, if they will support you or not. Uh, yeah, it was, wasn't was easy. And uh, I appreciate my customer very much because I have a lot of people used to come and clean their table, put the dishes in the counter, clean their
0: table with the towel and sit. It's interesting, I noticed some people, the customers, is it, is, was it a Richmond thing? They don't want to bother the waitress, so they go behind the counter and pour their own coffee. And I've noticed that they were busting their own tables. And I was wondering, was that the owner? You know, Bob he the Builder? Right, right. <laughs> that guy? <laughs> that guy, Bob. Pouring right, his own right.
2: coffee.
0: You know, they, yeah, they sometimes
1: they do that. And, uh, you know, Robin, uh, I like to see my customer feel home. This is my business is for—I feel like it's it's a family business. And— My customer, I always tell my customer, please feel free, feel home, just whatever you need, whatever you get. It's such quick
2: ticket items, though, to see someone feel so comfortable, you know, like eggs while they're, you know, hash browns and all that stuff are so fast on a grill and then to the table. It's really interesting to see that dichotomy of somebody saying, hey, I can sit and relax when you're going to get a meal, you know, four or five minutes later. I think that's a cool thing.
1: You know, uh, I have. A lot of people. My business sometimes is just, uh, it's not easy, you know, to hire, have a lot of people work for you. But this I put in my head, a lot of people who want to come, they come for a quick lunch or quick breakfast. So I always have extra people to just have good service and quick service.
2: So one employee you said that you had starting in 1998, how many employees do you have now?
1: Fourteen. Wow.
2: That's a lot. And and do they work all day because you've started recently serving dinner so I feel like your hours have doubled.
1: Yes, I they work some of them, you know, they come different uh different time, but uh yes, they all work hard. Oh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. Very hard. Faisal, how do you— get Can
2: we put Robin to work one day? I feel like I've that's asked. a thing. I've i mean, asked to kind
0: of take it, over could, it, dinner How, are, shifts how are you with eggs? I'm not good at all. I'm good with publicity. They about. say
2: they're the <laughs> hardest thing to cook.
0: <laughs> really,
1: it's, it is. It is. I, I always tell them, to cook a breakfast, you need to be very professional. Breakfast is harder than to cook lunch. So again, it start, it
0: started off as a counter, like a traditional counter that you would see in a Woolworth back in the day, these 1960s, 1970s was it a pharmacies. Was it, a, was it a counter with a bunch of what, Naga right. chairs? Right. And then you started adding tables and tables and tables? I started adding
1: tables. We used to have a and store next door to West, Westwood. Used to be two different businesses. And when uh, A&N left, back nine years ago, the pharmacy took over and he asked me, do you like, do you think you want more space? I said, definitely. He said, okay, that's a project we're gonna do. You go have around 100 seats. I said, okay, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it and back in my head, I said, ah, I'm gonna make it or not. And uh, nine years ago, we add more tables. We, you know, the pharmacy took over a and a store, bigger space. We put more tables, more chair, And now I wish I can add more because I feel I need more. So
2: you have 100 seats now? 100 yes. total? So you went from eight to 100?
0: Eight. <laughs> Do you know who introduced me to Westwood Diner, actually, was a guy who was at an investment bank here. He said, and when we pull all-nighters on pitch books and closing a deal and everything, it became a tradition for us. Uh, to show up, all of us, at 7.30 in the morning and have this huge, hearty breakfast with cream, you know, chipped beef and, and everything else. And then that investment bank got the word out. Because if I were driving up and down Patterson Avenue forever, I never would have known that there was anything inside that pharmacy. Let's be honest. It's you and a very shady pizza hut that's still in operation. One of, maybe the last red roof. Pizza Hut full sit-down operation. And it's always hiring people. Uh.
2: <laughs> How is that pizza? It's definitely, yeah, you're right next to, you know, hot and ready, Yeah, they,
1: they blame me when I started business. They used to do a lot of business when I first started in Westwood. And later, their business slowed down a lot. And they blame on me because I, they don't have more more parking spot. I took all the parking spots for them. But this is wasn't.
0: Faisal, Faisal already killed Pizza Hut. Yes, sir. Uh, you I, heard it
2: here first. You heard on it here full first.
0: disclosure, I do want to get at um, you know some of the, where you decided to go away from kind of the basics and, and uh, running a diner with great eggs and great omelets and uh, great salads and everything, and you take risks on the menu. Like we heard through the grapevine that you hired a very competent quiche chef. You know, people tell us that your quiches are really good and really complex. And there's some people what that swear. What makes a
2: competent quiche chef? I don't know. Um, I, there's a, I don't there's, know if you noticed my left eyebrow, but I just went, what?
0: <laughs> there's a rumor that you actually go around looking for interesting talent to bring in kind of northern, and northern Virginia and other parts of the state and, and kind of, you know, bring those concepts in.
1: You know, I always in my business when I need to hire someone, special cook, I always give, bring someone with experience and uh, and always update. I never have same menu, like, you know, specials, no no place will do, will have a special, 20 specials every single day, different special. And uh, I always look for the best and try to hire them because uh, this is the secret in business. You have to always have different thing in your menu. Don't let your customer get tired from what they're eating.
0: Yeah, cactus no. cactus salad? Cactus soup, for cactus example. Cactus soup.
1: Yeah. Bon femme dressing? Bon femme <laughs> dressing. This is uh one the numbered sell- selling dressing right now. And I see I see bon certain. Bon
2: femme? Women. Spell that for me.
1: Bon femme? Bon femme. It's uh B-O-N-N-E. Femme F-E-M-M. So pretty it's a girl? Fresh, it's a, yes. Pretty, pretty girl, girl dressing? Yes. What That's, makes
2: it a pretty girl?
1: Uh pretty girl. It's uh Ask, is it pink
2: because I feel like that would no, make no, <laughs> it's it. Is no is it purple
1: it's uh it's a white uh, it, it looks it's a, just probably white looking dressing but uh this is a, I would say the, this is the woman what they like they like and we sell probably ninety percent of that dressing and
0: I also 10%. see interesting characters I don't know you know hunters and in trucks and everything park in the morning and come in and get tubs of your chicken salad
1: yes. Chicken salad is... uh,
2: It's changed your life, chicken salad. Um, It really is. We get tubs of it, too. I just stopped making my own.
1: Chicken salad is our signature, one one of our signature. Chicken salad is the number one salad in the cold.
2: Can you put the pretty girl dressing on the chicken salad?
0: No, you got to put it on the <laughs> on the salad. Now, there's another aspect, another kind of footnote whenever I'm there in the mornings and see this cross-section of people who I'll talk about. You also carry the Tollheimer layer cake from the defunct Tollheimer department store, which was famous for its layer cake. And yeah. I believe it spun out fried chicken, too, golden skillet and all that. But the layer cake, you – we heard to the grapevine that you found a bakery on the north side that had the intellectual property, the Thalheimer Layer Cake, and it is now sold at Westwood Fountain. Right, right.
2: How many layers it, is that? There's an argument going on, like, over in the food world. How many layers we total? We call it
1: six layers, six layers. And uh, this is one of the number one selling, too, in, in a dessert.
0: Faisal, sir, I'd like you to talk to me about staffing. And staffing at a very high level where if you walk into your diner on a Sunday or Saturday morning, it's – in a great way, it's chaos, right? There are people standing by the aquarium waiting to get a table. Um, People have a very high expectation of the food that you're going to bring them. Enormous turnover at a time when unemployment is really low and you have – I, you know, we hear stories. We had Ian Kelly of Sugar Shack on say it's impossible to keep people here, impossible to keep people in Charlottesville. How do you make people in food service feel like they are going to be invested in this? That they're not just minimum plus kind of cogs in the machine.
1: You know, Robin, you have to build when you have employees. You cannot be boss and bossy all the time. It's just you have to respect them, uh, care about them, build good relationship with them make them feel this is their business, you know. Uh, make them feel home, you know. I tried, you know, uh, I try my best for them. Uh, you know, we talk about always not about business, about family, about, you know. Uh, this is how I keep my, my employees, you know. They just keep on comfortable with everything. And it's not easy. It's not easy in Richmond. It's, it's hard to find help now. I mean, we, it, Richmond become, is one of the hardest city to find
0: good help. Were you shocked at kind of what started happening here with RVA dying seven, eight years ago and suddenly it was a really competitive environment? I always tell people that if you go not far from your restaurant uh, to Superstar's Pizza, inside the bathroom there's a poster of I think it was in Richmond Magazine or something, 1995, the famous restaurants of Richmond, and it showed a Starbucks. It showed an Outback Steakhouse. It showed Superstar's Pizza. You're like, you know, Chesapeake Bagel Company. And it's a completely different world from when you started. It is so competitive right now. You have – Uh, People constantly looking for a sous chef, constantly looking for kind of an operations person. You have to be out there kind of breakdancing and fighting to keep and attract new people in addition to the vagaries of attrition, people in coming and going all the time.
1: Yeah, it's... uh, I tell you, it's it's so hard. You know, I have a lot of business open around me all the time. And to compete with them, I have to keep all the good food going. And uh, to keep my... My chef's happy. I have to work with them with everything.
2: Maybe a hurdle is, A, the glamorization of th- being a cook, you know, IETV, or the fact that they rise up and could be famous, coupled with, B, even though it could be glamorous, it's still pretty low-paying. Do you have to fight that battle?
1: Of course you have to uh, to fight. You know, uh, you cannot low paid anymore. I mean, just we have uh, – it's hard. Enrichment anymore? Actually, everywhere become hard because uh, a lot of companies, uh, you know, they took a lot of jobs from us. Like uh, say Uber and Amazon, they took a lot of jobs from restaurant business. People make more more, more money in Uber and to drive Uber really to, on an Uber to, and uh, deliver for Amazon.
0: Now, you also mentioned to me when I was there with my father-in-law recently that the uh, immigration crisis, which has really hit ahead right now with the wall and the impasse and the partial government shutdown, you've actually really felt it in your business. In the past, you could count on some degree of immigration to come in and word of mouth to replenish the ranks from your line chef, your cook. You always have a help-wanted sign out there. You always need people working the tables.
1: Yeah. uh, Robin, all this we need a lot of people in the country. We need more. We can— we have jobs, I believe, in the country for another – for the small business, for probably over a million jobs. I believe the country need big time people from uh, different countries. And we these
0: have... are jobs that can't be absorbed by the, the workforce here? There aren't enough people that are willing to come out there and, and meet you at kind of a market-clearing wage? Because the argument is, is right. that the immigrants are taking jobs away from
1: that's, – That's not true. That's not true. We have plenty of jobs and for everybody in, uh, in, in America, but they, they, some people, they don't want to work. They don't want to work, they just... Uh, why, I have no clue. They ask me why you have that big business. I, I built the business because I work hard for a business. Need a lot of hard work. And when you work hard, you have this kind, of, we're so lucky in the state, we have that. Many opportunities. We have a lot of opportunities. You work hard, you get what you, what what you do. And uh, and the jobs wise, like I said, we need more people to fill up the gap. I'm I'm talking in my about my business, but I think over over all all the businesses around enrichment
0: restaurant, they all need help. Now you've had to be particularly resourceful. I met your nephew, which is like your mini me, who you brought in on a kind of a temporary vacation thing from from Beirut. He was here for several months last year, and he even extended his visit to work the counter to kind of shadow you. I've seen your daughter work. She served us last week. Uh, your wife comes in from time to time. There's this high school kid. He's so nice. He works on some weekends. He's always <laughs> updating us on his college situation and how badly he wants to keep this job through college. Like, you, you kind of make room for all these different characters you to come know, in. special when you,
1: when you come. Always the family. My kids get involved. My nephew, he came to visit me, he said, what do you mean? I said, if you wanna see me, you have to come with me to the store to stay with me.
2: That's your family opportunity. You have to come wait tables and then you can see me. Yeah,
1: And uh, a lot of kids, when they out to college or they looking for during you know, the summertime, I all do, always do my best for them. I always try to give them a job so they can have some money in their pocket. And, uh, and a lot of friends ask me if, always if they can bring their kids. And I always do. I always try my best and have a move.
2: Are you of the thought, Robin, that somebody should work, anyone should absolutely have a job in the restaurant industry at some point in time in their life?
0: I really am, actually. I wish that if I, you know, if I had a better feet, I would stand on my feet and work once a week. I love the interaction with people. I think it lets me get out of my head. I'm focused on creative pursuits. And um You know, if you see the cross section of people who come into Westwood Diner in the morning, I mean, it is a true cross section. You see, uh, you know, the River Road corridor, the 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 Mm -hmm. silver haired women, the bless your soul women, African American people, African American people from nearby, you know, the Westwood tract, um, students there uh, from the U of R, uh, people from the JCC taking long lunches, and it was really surprising to me that. you know, Where else in a kind of a batch processing sense are you going to get to meet all these people? The U-crops come in every now and then. And for me, journalistically, like that's a great – lead generation thing in addition to being a guy who likes to eat and loving the omelet it's like kind of the uber driver you meet is like you know i'm only doing this on the side i'm trying to get leads for my real estate business i absolutely would work i don't know how to cook a spit so that's the problem see i think
2: that would be a really fun little thing is watching someone because i bet you he would say he didn't know how to cook a spit either and now look where
0: he is I would do it once a week on a Friday. I don't think I'd be very useful to you because, there, Faisal, there is definitely a cadence of what's going on behind the counter. Everybody has to speak a language. You hear a bell ringing. You see tables being cleared. The amount of velocity on it in addition to the chef, you know, making things to exacting specifications. My father-in-law likes his eggs served, you know, scrambled soft, and it's done in a perfect way. And I give excruciating detail to Shanna. On on my omelet and everything like that. And and this is a machine, whereas it started off as a curiosity with 10 people who you could serve. Now it's a beast. I, I didn't even get into lunch where it's actually impossible to get a table, bless your soul.
2: And your dinner it, business is busy too now. I mean, you guys are getting there.
0: We're getting there. We we'll work hard in it.
1: It's uh, just uh, uh, my dinner business, uh, it's hard to find people now fork for dinner. So uh, this is probably a big issue now for,
0: for a dinner. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Faisal Aridi, owner and founder of Westwood Fountain, uh, where you see me uh, for breakfast two, three times a week. We're also joined in studio by the lovely Roby Martin. She hosts Lunch Break with Roby on CBS 6. She's an RVA Dine guru. Um, she knows all the hot places in town that you've heard of and never heard of to find the best eats. Um, yeah, uh, you know when we get into a discussion about the future, Faisal, you get asked all the time: Do you want to expand? Do you want to buy another location? You're clearly at capacity. Not only you know we didn't even mention catering. When I come in early in the morning, if I have an early morning taping or something, you have people filling in enormous sandwich orders. Some guy grilling chicken breasts for a big order downtown. Um, you had staff that came back and said, listen, we are at capacity and breakfast and dinner, but we really would like the hours in the evening. And you've pushed out to evening hours. But you yourself are working behind the counter and you yourself are working the grill way much more than you thought you would at this age. You know, of course, uh, because, uh, Robin,
1: when you grow up, when you grow the business up and uh, uh, always need hard work. So I always get involved with everything I can. And to keep it going, when you see people who wait online, you feel like, no, I will do my best because I respect each person who comes enter into my business. And I try always give, give them my best.
0: And, uh, and You have been known to go to, I heard through the grapevine, you very quietly showed up at the funeral reception of a long time customer. These are, these are people that you've really gotten to know over two decades. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I did not mean to embarrass course. you or anything, no, but this shows no. that, you know, in New York, where I came from, it was never anything personal. But the lines are blurred here. When people come to that place. They, they feel like it's an extension of their, you know, kitchenette and their diner.
1: You know, uh, it's become a family. It's a family business. And when I, when I say family, I feel my customer, they are part of my family. It's something happening in their house. I always, you know, try to be there. And... Uh, uh, in the funeral and uh, parties and, you know, just uh, build that good relationship with them. And uh, I, of course, always be there no matter what.
0: Now, what about mentoring? Um, again, I'm kind of outing you on this. I saw you very <laughs> – I saw you one morning in another booth mentoring another restaurant owner who is actually – we know situationally she was widowed. I don't want to let – I don't, want to, yeah. I don't um, want to give this stuff away. You didn't ask for this kind of credit and everything. But it's fascinating to me that a person who learned this on the fly when we hear about your story and you immersed yourself in it, you didn't get a formal education, you didn't go to culinary school. You're now in a position actually to share notes and best practices with someone else who um, has a successful series of restaurants but was hit with tragedy about three years ago. You know uh –
2: I love how humble he is. He's trying. It's, it's so good.
0: <laughs> you, know, you don't have to name names. I want to understand how this is working. You're clearly passing on the baton. You're not being selfish about I, it. People. Have, he doesn't have to name names, know,
2: but I certainly want to know what he said to her because but, somebody with experience has experience to give. You know,
1: I have a lot of people. They always ask, what do you do, Faisal? What did you do? I mean, uh, what I did in, from beginning, I always there, always hard work hard and be there for my customer. And when I give, I give, I feed my customer what I like to eat too. So I always give them my best of the cooking, of the service, uh, uh, and this is take you a long way in life. And some people, yes, they ask me, they come, why would do this? You're doing that. We cannot do it your way. I said, no, you gotta do it. You gotta see what customer, and don't be cheap in a business. Some some plates I make dollars, some plates I make fifty cents sometimes. But it's okay. It it's okay. Because as long as my customer is happy. And uh, this is uh, this is business, it's hard, it's not easy business. It's so hard. It's so hard, but you cannot look over money all the time. Because I'm a person who love my love the customer, love my customer who've been coming for 20 years. To my place, and uh, I feel when they come, they come to my house. They come to my house and become a money. It's of course it's part of my life. I have kids. I have their education. I, you know, but I, I don't look after money all the, most
0: of the time. Let's get creative with this in the ten minutes or so that we have left.
2: I love it when you say let's get creative. I never know the, what's coming.
0: How <laughs> are we going to make a go at? dinner at Westwood Fountain. I start to get all crazy thinking about it because here you had a, a, a almost like a pop-up type location. I never appreciated when I first moved here that there was this delicious breakfast and lunch scene in there. But as we said earlier, you were pushed, especially by your employees, to offer evening hours. And it's a challenge to get people to come into a pharmacy and have dinner at night. Um, you can be as provocative as you want with the menu. How are you going to make this work and how can we make it work? Because I've teased this earlier as a pop-up concept with full disclosure. As you know, Faisal, I have several times have sent you to my favorite Persian restaurants in northern Virginia and asked, is this something that we could do to kind of experiment with the scene to the extent that you need butts in seats at night? You have a, a chef that needs labor. You have people who want hours. What are your plans now that you're locked in for dinner?
1: You know, dinner uh – which I understand, some they always look for beer and wine, and beer and wine license, it's hard to get. It's hard to get. I had situation, you know, in the, in the pharmacy. I can, I can, I tried before to get it, uh, I couldn't get it, and I have a lot of customers who ask, we need beer and wine, beer and wine, and this is was this is the stop, the point I cannot cross it yet.
2: So you do feel handicapped because you don't serve alcohol? Do you Be think right. that's it?
1: A- yeah, this is a big big part of
2: it. I can see how that would, was- But you know there's a lot of spaces, especially right now, um, there's a ton of places where individuals are looking to go to eat dinner where that isn't an option as wellness comes into it. And so maybe we can connect the dots there, Robin. Your sweet Persian chef can come in and we can do I don't know. Yeah, I
0: actually want to open it up to our dear yeah. listeners who are now, you know, we're we're patched in on WCV. We do live restaurant events. We want to have some fun with this and and bring different people in. I mean, there's really there isn't much downside. You have the the lights on, you have the place lit up. You're you're paying for the fixed and variable costs on it. So, you might as well experiment for the next chapter.
2: Can we put yeah. a couple of chefs that I know in there for maybe like an event like Fireflower and Fork? I mean, they did that for Charleston Food and Wine, where they took two fine dining chefs and made them cook on the pass. Oh, That's
0: between you and Mister Aridi. I don't mind it at all. I
2: and think that course. that could be a super fun little show. Of course, show. why not? I don't. I don't. I, apparently, it's the hardest thing. Sean Brock. Did it for Charleston Food and Wine in a Waffle House, and talked about how it's one of the hardest food things he ever had to do was get on the griddle and and figure out how to do a short order cook rotation.
1: So I always, I don't mind because I'm uh, uh, I'm in business. I've been in business twenty years. Every day I learn different things, and so this is be. New lesson for me.
0: Now, Faisal, what about the, uh, the refrigerator where you can kind of grab and go? You could take carryout things right now for people on the way this home. This is, uh, th- yeah, this is, we started
1: three months ago, and uh, it's going very well. It's, is it just specific
2: going... items, Robin? I don't think I knew this. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, it's, uh, no, we do like seven, eight different kind of soups, always there. Uh, we do uh, uh, Italian uh, dinner. We do quiche. Uh, A lot of salads. Yeah. From your quiche genius, you do quiche. quiche. Right.
2: (laughs) I like it so. So salads, full-on dinners? Like if I have, like, me and my husband and two children, I can just come pick up a dinner? Of course. That's good to know. I had no idea. Look at you, teaching me all sorts of food things. Well,
0: you've also had mixed luck with your native fare. You've tried to bring in Lebanese cuisine every now and then at the counter at lunch. And how was that greeted? How was that? Really, yeah
1: it did go well but it's uh, it took clara it takes a lot of times and it's hard to find lebanese i would say middle eastern cook and i will end up do the the job and th- that was for me is hard because i cannot manage and spend a lot of times in uh, make lebanese food
2: time consuming on both ends managing right. the restaurant and cooking you're there 24
0: hours then yeah. faisal in the grand scheme of things, where are you now? So you put 20 years into this and you were shocked last year looking back at it when you, you know, the the genesis for the idea for this show was when you told me that you thought once that you'd be so lucky if you had $500 in your pocket after a week of of backbreaking work at this diner. And now clearly it's a successful concept. It's headquarters for a lot of people, their breakfast scene, it's where their days start. Is this as good as it gets for you? I mean, are you kind of... Tapped out at this point? Do you want to hand it off to someone else in the family? Where's your head at?
1: Really, yeah. Uh, I need family help. I do need some family help. Uh, this business, I always tell that you know, small business, uh, in a restaurant, it's nice to have family family involved. My, I wish I can see my kids help. They're helping now because they're. In a time of uh, of college, uh, I always love to have family member and probably in the the future, I love to pass to them too, because uh, it's tiring at 20 years of giving, they were not easy.
2: I can't even think of a question. I think that having family in a restaurant is a great idea. What would be a good question after that, Robin? I mean, it's a beautiful story.
0: Yes, but you've also seen people in this town that have – you know, we've talked about Chris Way and others who've taken the hyper growth mode. Like I can't – they look back and they say I was in the Great Recession and I had this one concept and now there are 12 restaurants, 13 or 14 other people. Johnny Javos have become kind of more advisors to others. You occupy a very you know, particular niche where it's it's family and word of mouth and customers and really kind of innovating at the margins at this point.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, the type of business we do, uh, Robin, it's uh, it's to have all fresh home cooking. It's not easy business. It's not easy business to think you want to open another business. It's, not
2: repeatable, is not, it's not repeatable, as what you're saying. It's authentic enough that you can keep it as a singular entity and continue to go forth with that. Right. I think, and I think we're seeing a renaissance of that in Richmond. I know you have all of the hyper-focused Let's call them chains, Robin. But I think people are headed back to the authentic, even diner food because it feels, it feels as you said, home. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: Sure. It's uh, This is a hardest part for me to open another business and keep the same equality because I, I, I don't see it.
2: Because cliche is home is where your heart is. And if this feels like home, your heart is there. Sure. I got you. That makes complete sense.
0: Uh, Close us out, Faisal. Tell us the the biggest lessons learned, uh, the biggest things you want to impart to your children and other people in this business. When people come to you for advice or they ask for leads, now you've had 25 years of this under your belt.
1: Uh, You know, uh, Robin, I, uh, I I always tell my kids, just work hard respect other, love what you do, and respect everyone come to your business. So uh, hard work always pay back.
2: I like it, respect and hard work. There's, you know, there's a, there's a great mantras to have in yeah. business, I think, and, and treating your customers well. Of course. There's a lot to be said for how, well, how good your customers feel when they're in an establishment, especially when they're eating, because eating is so personal.
1: Yeah, and appreciate appreciate your uh, staff because they big part of the business. I really appreciate each one of them because they stand
0: by me all the time. Any other quick menu trends that you can tell us about? Like everybody said that this is going to be the year of the veggie burger, Impossible Burger 2 is coming out. You know,
1: I always leave it surprised, uh, Rob. I always have something new and always create something new. And, you know... Uh, Business going well because I have food for all the tastes, most of the tastes. You know, I do the, we do light food, we do the salad, we do the burgers, we do the clubs, we do crab cakes, you know, fresh oyster, we do, you know, every day we do different things. And that's why track people always come back to see, hey, what Spicer has. They never get tired from the food. I always new stuff.
2: I think he's busy because he's real food. I love the Impossible Burger and all that fun stuff, but I think real food always wins, you know, real home cooking, family-focused food. You're going to go to the celery juices here in a little bit, and you're going to see the Impossible and Beyond burgers, and they're going to get their their day. But I think he's going to end up being like – Staying in the course, similarly to what he's doing now.
0: I have one complaint out of all this, Faisal, mm-hmm. is that you could have just named one dish after me. One dish, it's all I wanted in my life. The hangover. I've asked I've, I've asked superstars. This is my idea, uh Richmond. I thought that... if you change
2: and, one letter, it could be Roby. I just want you to keep it. Roby around, but let me let, let me just me, say
0: just and, and you, guys, you guys get back to us if you think this is a good idea. Because you sell these stuffed Hanover tomatoes, you sell Hanover tomatoes over the summer. In mm-hmm. fact, there's a fruit cart right around the corner. I said, why don't you come up with something? Wait for it. Farzad's hangover tomato, where you add a little G that's dangling from the bottom and then Lisa your last is like he oh. uses his yeah, bless your soul could I have your credit card bye Robin it's a pleasure to
1: have your name around because you always support my business big support of my business what and a
2: supporter of, of local dining right yeah. this guy he does and, a great uh, job
0: I'm just adult. the guy who likes to eat I can't thank you enough everybody
2: for... eats Robin so you actually are a supporter don't yeah, say you're just it, a su- no, the guy no, that likes support. to eat of
0: course of course Faisal Aridi owner and founder of Westwood Fountain. Thank you so much for being on with Roby Martin of CBS6.
2: How how cool was this, right?
0: Can't ask for better, Robin. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Full disclosure. Our engineer is John Valentine. You can enjoy this fine show on WCVE 88.9 FM. It runs Saturdays at 6 p.m., repeats Sundays at 8 p.m. for your drive home from a sumptuous RVA Dine uh, dinner. Um, You can enjoy us on the NPR One app. It's a fab app and on iTunes at linkfulldradio.com. Of course, you can and should follow us on Facebook and Twitter for information on exciting live events, including a Big Chef event on February 10th. We are lightly hand-battered, tossed in house-made bonfemme dressing. Substitute side salad or onion rings for $1.50. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week. Established in 2014, Full Disclosure is recorded at Audio Image in downtown Richmond. You can also catch me weekly on NPR's Here and Now, and every now and then on the PBS NewsHour and C-SPAN's Washington Journal. Hey, RVA, join us on Sunday, February 10th, when Full Disclosure Live on WCVE presents an evening with James Beard Award Foundation semifinalist and Iron Chef contender Brittany Anderson, I interview her before a live audience for my radio show before she plates a special one-time dinner from her Brenner Pass and Metzger Bar and Butchery. Seating for this dinner is very limited. A portion of ticket sales will benefit Speak Up 5K, the Cameron K. Gallagher Foundation. More details at Twitter handle FullDRadio, Facebook.com slash FullDRadio, and on Eventbrite. This is just one of many special audience events coming to full disclosure in 2019, where we are excited to be on NPR member station WCVE 88.9 FM. Richmond is a happening place. Drop us a line and visit.